Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? A lot of mailbag questions, so we're going to be doing a couple of parts for this one, guys. Yeah, multi-part episode, a couple news updates. We're going to jump into that plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, where do you want to begin? Nick, we'll start with Markeith Morris because we chatted about that. You've been t- talking about it a lot on Twitter as well, bringing up him as a possible free agent. And now we've got Mark Stein saying that the Nets are in advanced talks in signing Markeith Morris. Not necessarily sure it's fate or complete, but it looks to be heading in that direction. Now that we've had more time to process this, people have been going back and forth. I brought up, you know, the James Johnson comparison and such. I've looked at a, a little bit of some of his tape and some of his three-point shooting and seen what some Miami people have been saying. Uh, has any of your thoughts changed around Markeith Morris? Should the Nets be targeting DeMarcus Cousins or Hassan Whiteside, these guys instead? Yeah, I, I don't think much has really changed. I think it's really interesting. We have advanced discussions for essentially a veteran minimum free agent uh, on August 29th. So... Obviously, this deal looks like it's likely to happen, given we've had multiple reports about it. So I think it kind of gives you an idea of what the Nets are trying to do. Obviously, we have another signing. We're going to talk about both guys being longer wings that can play, you know, forward positions. Markeith obviously could potentially play some small ball five, and that could be a great fit. If the Nets don't sign a center and they sign Markeith Morris and just leave the roster as is, I think that would tell us a lot about the style they're trying to play this season, the way that they're trying to operate offensively and defensively. Obviously, still, you know, over a month until, you know, the season begins, even more time than that. But just, you know, little little crumbs for us to try to figure out what's going on. Yeah, look, I think center, the center position is the easiest one to fill out and with vet minimum sort of guys. So I think that prioritizing a Mark, Keith Morris, Kamala Anthony, whoever else, is sort of around that sort of mark. You know, we got Yuta Watanabe that we'll be chatting a little bit about too. I don't think that's a, a bad move. And a lot of people in our mailbag questions were talking about, you know, the Nets, why aren't they signing centers? You know, what is this indication here? Markeith Morris, is he going to play small ball five? You know, a lot of success, other successful teams have been having success playing small ball basketball. But, you know, the Nets are, are in a conference where there is a, a bit more bigs to contend with, including, you know, a rival of their own in, in Joel Embiid. But, I, I I don't mind this, Nick. You know, I think just get this deal done. Like it, it just seems to be like dragging on a little bit for a guy who could just easily sign for a vet minimum. You know, I think he could crack the rotation whether he's starting or coming off the bench. And you know, I think Sean Marks, you know, got questions about him obviously as well. He's having a decent offseason. I think this is one of his better ones in the KD Kyrie era. Yeah, and I think the thing about Marquise Morris, he's obviously not a great player. He's not in his prime. He's coming off an injury, but. He's still a guy that would be towards the end of the roster. And I think the important thing this year is trying to fill out the roster and guys that are actually playable for NBA regular season minutes. And last year, there were guys that just were bad fits on the floor and really, you know, weren't necessarily NBA rotation players. And I think Markeith probably at the very least is, you know, fringe. You know, he's a guy, if he is healthy, he definitely is a rotation player. But if he's, you know, not 100%, a little inconsistent, you feel okay playing him if there's an injury or, you know, he's playing a small minute load, you know, given, you know, 10 to 15 or whatever it might be. So I think it's important, like you said, Jack, give Sean Marks a little credit in terms of the way he's filled out the roster this year in terms of not only having more playable NBA players, but also more guys that fit the style that complement the stars and fit the current NBA. 
Yeah, look, I to make the case against Markeith Morris, you know, I've seen people sort of saying out there, you know, is it about toughness? It's just like, well, is he really that tough? Is he that sort of guy? You know, his injury history is probably the thing that is I, I worry about the most. But, you know, we're speaking about Kalan Anthony, Demarcus Cousins, Markeith Morris. We can't necessarily be the, the pickiest of, of fans when it comes to signings here. So if Markeith Morris is healthy, which I sincerely hope that he is because he had a, a very much injury-plagued season after that Nicole Jokic incident for the Miami Heat, you know, he's going to be, you know, a guy that could genuinely contribute. You know, a couple of years ago, you know, for the Los Angeles Lakers, as you alluded to, Nick, you know, he was a, a genuine contributor on a championship team. And hopefully he could have some semblance of a, of a role similar to that for the Nets. But any final Markeith Morris thoughts before we get to Yuta Watanabe? Yeah, I think one note would just be, you mentioned it, Jack, he played 17 games last year. Maybe it's a situation where he's, you know, refreshed coming to the season, you know, essentially kind of having a year off, obviously dealt with injuries, but it wasn't probably the same level of injuries in terms of some different things that players can experience because it was neck. And, you know, I'm not sure how it impacted his conditioning and rehab and stuff along those lines. But I think you could try to view that in a positive note if you think he's going to be healthy in other aspects. No, definitely. Uh, we'll get to Yuta Watanabe, Nick. You know, funnily enough, a former Brooklyn Net after yeah. playing uh, for the Nets in their summer league team in 2018. You, the, you're the sicko here that has watched <laughs> hours and hours of Yuta Watanabe tape. I put out a little bit that I could find from, funnily enough, the NBA Japan page. Um, he's got a massive following over there, so it's cool to get that uh, following on board. Hopefully, we had a couple of Japanese listeners on board with the buzz too, but what was your immediate thoughts on this signing? Obviously, a non-guaranteed deal. He'll probably be fighting out for one of the guaranteed deals that could be available or a two-way deal, which was reported by our guy, Chris Mulholland, that David Duke, David Duke Jr. did end up signing. So I guess I think he's likely to sign. He, I don't think he signed it officially yet, but I think multiple sources have reported that David Duke Jr. is likely to sign it. Likely to sign. My my fault in, in saying that. Um, in terms of Watanabe, Nick, what do you see in him as a player, um, and you know what does he, what could he bring to the Nets? Uh, Watanabe, um, I think you know instantly, Jack. As soon as you saw the tweet from Shams, it was like, "What's the contract? What's the contract?" Like you said, you know, not fully guaranteed. Still has to kind of compete in camp for uh, a shot at the roster, which I think he realistically has a shot to make the team. Obviously, is you know had some inconsistent minutes in Toronto the last couple seasons, but. He's a role player. He has great length for a wing and he utilizes it, you know, especially rebounding and blocking shots. He's not necessarily super athletic, but has really long strides, high effort player, very competitive, brings great energy, willing to do the dirty work on both ends of the floor, you know, body type for the modern NBA described as very plug and play. You know, a guy that you can just throw on the floor is going to be able to kind of find a place to fit and compliment other players on the floor. I think his defense is ahead of his offense. I think offensively, you know, occasionally making cuts, coming off screens, average three-point shooter, but obviously he's not going to really create a lot for himself. I think, you know, his uh, inside finishing is a little bit inconsistent as well. I would say he can kind of push the pace a little bit, and I think that'd be something we're going to see from the Nets a lot this season. So if he does make the team, he'd be a guy that'd be very active in terms of a lot of the transition plays. And I think... Another, you know, thing we've talked about is like, let's say the Nets go with the style of essentially playing three bigger forwards or long forwards instead of, you know, playing a center. You know, you know, Watanabe is a guy that can provide some weak side of rim protection. He's very active in terms of help on that side of the floor. So and and he has a lot of positional versatility. He's not necessarily going to be able to defend guards on the perimeter, but he can hang out there and he can switch a bit. So there is definitely some upside to the signing. So, you know, 
not a bad guy to take a flyer on, especially in a wing in a league that is driven by wings. Yeah, Kevin Durant put it out there, and maybe Sean Marks was listening, or he had that tweet bookmarked and <laughs> favorited. But in, in saying that, just to give a, a bit of context, last couple of years, uh, Watanabe has been playing uh, up in Toronto. Uh, you talked about his three-point percentage, Nick, 34% last year, 40% the, the year before that. So around over the two years and 88 games in Toronto, 37.3% on two attempts a game. Obviously, those attempts will be likely to be a lot more open when you've got guys like Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Paddy Mills, Kevin Durant, all those guys next to him. So maybe that in, it increases a little bit, whether that's volume, if he does happen to stick around. But yeah, as a guy that's sort of six eight, you know, I'd like the way the mold of this team is is sort of looking. I, you know, credit to Sean Marks for sort of going. Look, Kevin Durant said it's a wings league. It really is a wings league. Wings in the modern NBA are more valuable than you know. A, if you're looking between like, are you going to bank on the upside of a of a, of a center like a Marcus Aldridge, a Demarcus Cousins, or whatever, or do you bank on a guy that's 27 heading into his age 28 season? That could be something. And I, I think as you alluded to, he's. Offense has a long way to go, but as a sort of role player-ish sort of guy, you know, you've got as your sort of wing type, you've got TJ Warren, Kevin Durant, Yuta Watanabe, Joe Harris. I consider a wing, given that he's about six sort of seven type. I think that that you could do worse in sort of making a guy fight it out and proving himself. And I think that he looks okay. You know, he's got a, a really nice frame. He's a great shot blocker. I've got really good athleticism about him. So I think that he could be a, a decent enough fit. Um, in in Brooklyn, depending on you know what he signs and and how he looks over, you know, we'll probably be talking a, a little bit more about him uh, when it comes to some of the preseason games than maybe some of our bigger superstars, just to see if he can earn that that roster spot. But do you think that there, if you're putting like a, a likelihood on it, Nick, and we're talking about you know Carmelo Anthony and Demarcus Cousins and some other names that you've alluded to and we might discuss in the mailbag and some of our questions, what do you see? Do you think that he could? actually impact in the regular season do you think he could impact in the postseason and that might be a bit of a stretch but where do you see you know the likelihood of Watanabe actually playing some semblance of the role in a hopeful championship run for this Nets team yeah I think it would definitely be a regular season role unless you know things really just gelled and he fit in perfectly and just clicked in Brooklyn I think it's more likely you know it'd be a regular season bench role with just having some of those energy minutes. And again, you know, like you said, Jack, offensively, just kind of, you know, spotting up from three, making timely cuts, grabbing a few offensive rebounds, a couple of hustle plays here and there. And then where he'd really earn his spot on this team and have an opportunity to get minutes would be if he's very impactful defensively, especially in that help activity, especially that wingspan, blocking shots or whatever it might be, kind of being able to clean up some of the messes from some of the lesser players defensively on this team. Who do you think, and maybe we should get you know some Raptors people on the, the Blue White Network or get Corey back on to talk about Edmund Sumner. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Out of Edmund Sumner and Yusuf Watanabe, Nick. Now this is getting into the real nitty gritty. <laughs> you know, who, who do you think? Who do you think out of those guys could contribute more to the Nets? You know, going forward. Mm, that, that's a great question, Jack. I think both guys have to earn their spot on their on this team. I don't think either guy is guaranteed. You know, making the Brooklyn Nets roster for the 2022-23 season. I would say Utah probably has a, a better chance to impact because of, you know the ability of a wing player to just be a role player and not be necessarily targeted. And he can just go on the floor and be plug and play where Edmund Sumner, he has more guys in front of him. And where is his impact really going to be? You know, defensively, he's not elite and his three point shot is not elite. So it just seems it's a tougher task for him to get on the floor. Obviously the Nets don't have necessarily a backup point guard, but Edmund Sumner is not a backup point guard. He's more of, you know, a combo guard to a two guard. So you know, uh, I, I think, again, both guys really have to earn their spot on the team, but I think it'd be definitely tougher for Sumner. What about you? Yeah, I, I think to make the case for Sumner is that the Nets, like their point guard stocks are, they're very interesting. You know, it's Kyrie Irving as a point guard. Paddy Mills and Cam Thomas are point guard types, but they're not traditional, whereas Edmund Sumner provides a little bit of something with his athleticism, his ball movements, and in terms of what Corey's told us and some of the tape that we've seen. So there could be a, a case that you could make for him. You know, he's he's a pretty... He's, I think I just like the athleticism. I like the athletes that we have on this team. So I think Utah's more likely... But he's not guaranteed right now to even have yeah. a dealer. So it's going to be about you know those guys fighting in training camp, and and I, and I like that sort of mentality. I think that you know, earn earn it, and you know the the Nets will repay the faith. They've been pretty good at sort of rewarding guys you know, for, for for putting in the hard yards. You know Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, you know, these guys that have come from you know, the the lower ranks of the NBA to being genuine rotation players and elite in their roles. You know maybe we find and strike gold in in some form or fashion because sometimes you just need. You know that eighth, that seventh, eighth guy. Whether it's a Markeith Morris, whether it's a Yusuf Watanabe, whether it's a, you know, a TJ Warren and Edmund Sumner to give you ten or fifteen minutes in in the postseason. Maybe Kessler Edwards takes a jump. Maybe David Jr. forces him way into a, a standard contract. So the Nets are going to need 
you know, a couple of these guys, whether that's throughout the regular season to ease the load and hopefully, you know, we lessen the burden on, on KD and Kyrie or whether it comes to, to the big dance when it comes to the postseason and, and some of these guys have, have forced their way into that rotation. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if one of them has or, or maybe multiple um, versions of them have. It'll be about how this roster continues to fill itself out. And um, I, in saying that, Nick, David Dujun, David Jr., I did allude to it, um, is likely to sign his second 2A contract uh, with Brooklyn as, uh, I think, again, Chris Mulholland, who's been doing a heap of great reporting uh, for the Nets this offseason. What do you think about DDJ uh, rejoining the Nets uh, with, with the two-way contract? Yeah, it's great for the Nets. Obviously not super ideal for uh, David Duke Jr. He probably wanted that, you know, standard NBA contract, but this gives the Nets some great flexibility, allows David Duke Jr. to develop more with the team and with the G League team. And then, you know, I think next year he would definitely be ready for a standard NBA contract or even potentially, you know, midway through the year if there's an injury or he's really stepping up and finding a way to have an impact on the floor. So ideal that they're keeping him in-house. So I, I'm, I'm a fan of it, Nick. I, I like DDJ. You know, I, I think that he gives a little bit of something. Bruce Brown-esque, I think he's a really, really good rebounder for a, for a guard. I think his defense is improving. For those that may not have been listening to some of our summer league takeaways, what did you see from David Duke Jr. there that sort of left you with a, a little bit of optimism about his role as an NBA player and with the Nets going forward? Yeah, I think his confidence was just at a new level in summer league and just, you know being confident and attacking the guy in front of him, understanding what he can do on the floor to be impactful. I think there was maybe slight improvement in the three-point shot, but overall just, you know, looking more like an NBA player than, you know, a fringe NBA player like we saw a lot of guys in summer league. So I think just overall improvement and confidence and even just being more comfortable with the ball in his hands. Like he's not a point guard, but he definitely was able to create for himself and create for others a decent amount in summer league. And he, he was probably, you know, one of the most consistent nets throughout summer league in terms of impacting both ends of the floor too. Yeah, definitely. And you sort of comparing him to like Kessler, which we wanted to really make a jump because of his, the prototype of player that he is. And the fact that he showed a little bit um, within the regular season last year, didn't really get the opportunities or the wasn't really handled the best by the coaching staff in terms of, you know, the postseason as well. So I'm, I'm happy for DDJ. I'm, I'm hoping he can, when he does get the opportunities, whether it's in Long Island and or Brooklyn, that he forces himself away. I'd, I like to come up. I'm, I'm a big fan of his personality. I think he's a good athlete. I think he's got some intangible skills and I'm hoping that three point shot continues to improve but any final thoughts yeah i i want to say about him too jack is the things that he worked on and did well obviously he's not gonna be able to do necessarily a ton in a game in an nba game but the fact is you'll have little minor opportunities to create or have a possession here or there and i think he did enough in summer league where you're feeling more confident in his other abilities growing and i think there was also enough growth from year to year, seeing him last year in summer league to this year in summer league, where you think being able to get him on another two-way deal and seeing him develop for one more season, that he will be able to make those strides into being more of a complete NBA role player next season. And obviously the biggest thing for him, I think that could dictate if he's going to have a long NBA career would be a consistent three-point shot. Because like you alluded to, he does a lot of other things well, but shooting is such a key skill for guards in this league. 
shooting is such a key skill that can be, you know, the difference between getting a massive payday or sort of being around the fringes of an Andre Robeson yep. sort of type and you know, whether you're Matisse Stiebel or whether you're yep. Robert Covington. You know, that, that's the sort of diff, that's a $10 million difference in, in a personal payday. And if he continues to grow there, you know, I'm hoping for it. But let's get stuck into some of these mailbag questions, Nick, and, and some of them do allude to some of the questions that we've been and topics that we've been discussing discussing our guy broadway joe joe money mccarr why are the nets allergic to centers this season there's a couple of people that responded to joe but what are your thoughts on the nets lack of desire to sign a center or could they be off putting this to possibly make a trade what are your thoughts i guess on the lack of center activity from sean marks and and the front office yeah maybe they're just reacting because because last year they had a surplus and they oversigned the center position. But <laughs> yeah. But realistically, I think a lot of it was the uncertainty of the offseason. You know, early on, you know, you saw a lot of centers come off the board in the first couple of weeks. Obviously, the market was limited and there isn't necessarily great centers out there. And I think the Nets do have a not a ton of flexibility at the current moment to make a trade for a center. I think those that flexibility is going to open up when, you know, guys who sign new contracts are going to be able to be traded in December. So I think that's when I would look for them to probably make a bigger splash move on the center market rather than have to target one specific guy. But I also wouldn't be super surprised if they made a minor trade the next couple of weeks to add a center. I think, you know, like you kind of alluded to on multiple podcasts and on today's show is that, you know, center's a position that you could typically find, you know, a veteran minimum buyouts. I think it's the least required position yep. unless you are going conditionally up against Joel Embiid, Nicole Jokic. That, that's literally the only other time. And maybe to an extent Giannis, because you know, you're probably better off sometimes having a center guard him if there's a semblance of mobility about them, like clacks, bam, at a bio, Anthony Davis. But then I think Ben wouldn't be too bad uh, on him either. But just to sort of piggyback off, off that question uh, that Joe gave us to Sola's story, who asked us a similar one. He said, question one, seeing how the Warriors, the Celtics, Robert Williams on one leg, Heat and Mavs all didn't have a big man. Do you think it's okay if we don't get a third center? We're just getting Mark if Morris be enough. These teams are made to the conference finals without any bigs after all. Do you think there's any credence to, to Solace's thoughts, Solace story's thoughts there, Nick? Or, or are you more on the the bandwagon of like, why aren't the Nets getting any goddamn centers? You know, even get Paul Millsap back. Or, and I'll, 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 I'll continue this bandwagon on the Brooklyn Buzz. Just bring back Blake. Bring back Blake. Yeah, I think uh, it's a possibility. Like, you don't necessarily need, you know, to have another playable center. I think you'd at least want one more on the roster for just some of those matchups. Obviously, the Warriors didn't necessarily have to go against Joel Embiid, and the Nuggets team they faced was very banged up, so that could have played out completely differently. But if they did go that route, they'd have to lean into a different style of play, something we've kind of been alluding to in the last couple episodes. If they do go that, you know, let's play a lot of long, big forwards instead, they could do it. But it isn't necessarily, we won't know until we see that final roster and see them on the court. And if they do do that, I think we could expect like I said, a lot of changes in the style of play in terms of pushing pace and also just defensive activity in terms of help and things along those lines. So the way the roster is built can definitely dictate the style of play we can anticipate going into the season. No, definitely. And just to make the case for it, you know, obviously these guys aren't the the heftiest of dudes, but Nick Claxton, Kevin Durant, I mean, Ben Simmons has got a bit of you know, weight and, and muscle to him out of, the, out of those three, but all those guys are 6'10 to 7 foot and their wingspans are, are goddamn huge. And you know, if you're sort of using them as your, your, your bigs and, and front line, 
you wouldn't necessarily be the most uncomfortable about it because, I, I, you know, post play against Joel Embiid, you know, we saw Nick Claxton do a good job as I've sort of alluded to there. So, I think stylistically, you know, I don't hate it, and there there could be names that are out there, and we've got questions about that. So we'll save some of those names uh, for future questions. But I would personally think, okay, that it's fine for now. Markeith Morris will be enough because we saw how the team transformed you know, around that sort of trade deadline, the, the buyout market. Are the Nets still going to be one of the number one contenders you know, when it comes to, to buyout season? Does Kim and Rand still have a couple of mates around? Kyrie Irving, do the Nets still have you know credence you know with teams around the league after this offseason? Time will tell, but I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. But I do understand the trepidation because you know the, the, the Sixers could absolutely run right if Joel Embiid's healthy. And Nicole Jokic with a healthy uh, Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray could quite easily make the NBA Finals. So I think that it wouldn't hurt to have an extra Nick, but there's time. This roster is doesn't have to be set in stone until March. Yeah, I agree, Jack. And I think even if you had a third center that you didn't necessarily need to play other than matchups against Embiid and Jokic or bigger teams in the league, I think that's fine as well. You don't necessarily need to make a huge upgrade there. You could if the move arises, but I think you don't want to necessarily pressure yourself to you know, find that guy given that it's very hard to find a center that complements to Ben Simmons in his game specifically. Speaking of centers, I'm doing my best to try and get these these questions seamlessly together, see if they can relate. But we had a good run from Slim at Slim Reaper at season S7N. Um, he asked us, I want to hear about Daron Sharp, his progression, what he's working on, and what his minutes look like with and without the addition of another big. I think it's it, because we're talking about. Yeah, the I think yard. probably you know his biggest progress is physically. I think his you know body has changed drastically. He's got a lot leaner. It looked like he got a little bit quicker, better conditioning in summer league. I think you know he's working on his three point shot. The area he needs to improve the most is defensively and multiple aspects. We could probably do a whole podcast on that. And then also, I think he needs to improve his inside finishing. You know, consistently being blocked inside in summer league, not not ideal. I think what I saw from him in summer league didn't give me confidence that he's ready for regular NBA minutes. That could be a point he gets to during the season. But at the start of the year, I wouldn't necessarily want to count on him to get, you know, a big, large load of rotation minutes. And I think um, his minutes for the season be dictated by the signings and also the style of play. But as of right now, I wouldn't necessarily anticipate a consistent workload for him. Yeah, not to be reductive in our sort of, you know, offensive minds, but if Darren Sharp had of you know truly taken that three point shot with him and, and let it fly at, at summer league on, on four attempts a game rather than, you know, one and a half, two, and hitting, you know, thirty three, thirty percent of them, you know, that sort of range. You know, that's where he could sort of take himself and separate himself from Clax. Because we even saw Clax taking some threes in, in some of his offseason, you know, mixtapes and videos we saw on Twitter and Instagram. Nets Kingdom post a, a heap of that sort of stuff as well. So I think Daron Sharp hasn't separated himself enough. I think he's still where he does separate himself is rebounding. He is yep. an absolute force on the boards, and the Nets do lack there. So for a 10 to 12-minute spurt, you probably get eight rebounds out of Daron Sharp, and I wouldn't hate that. Get an offensive rebound and kick it out to Joe Harris. Maybe that could be what he's sort of semblance of his role could be in the regular season. I wouldn't hate it because I don't think that there are you know these awesome backup centers that are just going to destroy you like I just don't see those names out there, Nick. You know, the, the backup center role, like the Newlands, Noel types, those sort of guys that are, you know, second in waiting, Marvin Bagley or whatever, they're not going to kill you. So I don't 
necessarily see playing 10 to 12 minutes of, of day one sharp. You know, you're looking at the, 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 the it'll be clacks and Ben Simmons that are likely going to be taken in the majority of the center minutes because we heard Alex Schiffer report about Ben Simmons playing at center. We've heard plenty of reports about that. Clacks can obviously play there there as well if you know Steve Nash does a little bit of tinkering uh, with his lineups. And then, you know, if Markeith Morris is signed, maybe th- that's an- another guy that you sort of put there too. But I just think that Daron Sharp's got a little bit of something, but he has so much work to do. He's in the, the infancy of his NBA career. And I think it, a lot of it, progression won't come unless he's given the chance to make mistakes in game reps. So I want him to get, you know, whether it's 10 to 12 minutes in the, in the early portions of the season or against the teams that don't necessarily matter as much, you know, the Detroits and the OKCs and uh, of the world, give him a little bit extra runtime there. Let him make some mistakes because then he can learn from it. He can watch the tape with whoever it is behind the scenes, Adam Capone or, or whoever else it might be. So I think that his role is obviously limited, as you alluded to, but he does give you something and he is progressing. His body is in really, really good shape. But at the same time, I don't think his NBA awareness uh, and his NBA reps uh, are going to be reflective enough to him to earn a decent enough role. But I think he can be a sparing backup center at the same time. Am I wrong in thinking that? Yeah, I think it's certain matchups and if there's injuries. And I think, you know, if the Nets play up to their standard and they blow out some of these bad teams, that's where you ideally want to find the reps for him. I think the problem isn't even as much as him defending other centers, which I think he can do an okay job of. It's more so when, you know, those pick and roll situations, those help situations, you know, not really understanding the positioning. And like you said, a lot of that is just kind of getting reps. So I think, you know, if he's not playing with, you know, the Nets, he should be playing with the G League Nets, the Long Island Nets and kind of working on his game some more. But it'll be interesting to see how his season plays out and how his training camp goes. Because honestly, training camp is pretty impactful for young players, given it's a controlled environment and going up against other vets. And he's going up against a lot of great scores on a consistent basis. So, you know, throw him in the fire in training camp, see how he does. And that'll probably give, you know, the coaching staff a little bit better idea of what he can do in the regular season. Yeah, him and Clacks going at it, you know, for for boards and and, and fighting each other. I, I hope that brings out the competitive fire and, and juices in both of them. And go against you know, Ben a little bit, you know, on the perimeter yeah. too. Yep, yep, yep. Do see it, see how he looks like with switching because I at least the the stats reflected that he wasn't fouling as much, you know, in in the in the G League as as well as the the, the summer league. So it, it shows that at least whether he's letting guys get to the basket a little bit easier or whether. You know, his game awareness is actually improving. It could be a combination probably of both there, but I'm intrigued to sort of see how it does pan out because I think there's something there with Dayron, but at the same time, you know, what is his role going to be? That's that's the big question. I don't think it's going to be you know, necessarily totally meaningful, but I, I'm not against just having him there and you know using him because he he showed us a little bit even last year. You know, uh, the, the game against the Bulls just did spring to mind. And and what is ultimately the marked difference between say him and Demarcus Cousins and him and Hassan Whiteside? Would you rather get a bit of maturation and 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 throw uh, the, the and throw the young kid a, a little bit of a leash and, and see how he goes with that? Or would you rather just go with the, the known quantity of, you know, a, a semi-steadying force and, and NBA reps and experience of Hassan Whiteside to Marcus Cousins? You could probably do both. But at this point in time, you know, Dayron Sharp is on the roster and he's one of the only big guys there. He's not even you know, 6'10", 6'11". He's a bit shorter than that. I think he's 6'9", pushing 6'10". So I'm intrigued to see how it goes. And I'm enjoying, you know, some of the things that he's improving on. 
Yeah, and I'd say one thing he has over the other guys, too, that is just, you know, energy and effort. You know, he's just going to play harder than especially Hassan Whiteside. He's going to play harder than DeMarcus Cousins. He's going to fight a little bit more for some of those loose balls and things along those lines. It's just the experience, the awareness, you know, the positioning. Is that going to be where it needs to be? And I think that's where, you know, maybe you feel okay with Dayron there, especially if you're playing a lot of small ball five, and then you could make that move for a more experienced center down the line. Or maybe even Dayron shows you enough where he's that backup guy and you can trade Clax for that real starting level center that's going to take a majority of the minutes, and then you're really only playing Dayron a couple. We'll see how it goes, Nick. But we've spoken about Ben Simmons. We've got a question about him from Hassan. I've always seen Ben Simmons as being Draymond Green on steroids. With him being locked in and happy in Brooklyn, what are some of your expectations slash goals for Big Ben? Leading the league in assists, averaging a triple-double, attempting 8-10 to 10 free throws a game. Nick, where do you stand with Ben 10? Yeah, I think I would be ecstatic if Ben could have the level of impact Draymond Green has on both ends of the floor. You know, I think that would be huge if he could get to that point and then you showcase, you know, his athleticism to, you know, take that to another level. But uh, I'm not sure we're going to fully get that. I think Ben has other aspects where he can be more impactful than Draymond and areas that Draymond's, you know, better than he is. But what I'm expecting from Ben is an all-star season, you know, defensive player of the year candidate and probably something around 17, nine and nine. You know, I don't think it has to be a triple-double or has to be anything specific, but I think, you know, the Nets need him to be active rebounding. They also need him to be active in terms of, you know, playmaking and setting up guys from three, especially if Ben's going to be getting some minutes on the floor without Kyrie and KD. You know, if he's going thrown out there with a, a Seth and Joe Harris-type lineup where, you know, there's just a lot of shooting and he can attack, especially if he's playing that small ball five going against other bigs. Like, he should be able to really create some stuff. So I think getting back to just playing the level of basketball we've seen him play in the past. Yeah, we'll dive a bit deeper into Ben in, in some of our predictions and stuff when we get into the player preview stuff, which isn't going to be far away, uh, either guys some of our season preview and player preview and, and positional preview stuff. But, you know, the 17-9-9 is pretty reflective of some of the stuff he's done when he has been healthy, Nick. You know, 19-20, 16.4 points, 8 assists, 7.8 rebounds. They also led the league, I'm pretty sure, in steals with 2.1 steals. So the combination and impact that he can have within this Brooklyn Nets system is, is when the signing happened, we knew that this was an ideal fit. Is he fit and ready? I'm. That's the, the the dumb one thing for me. Is he yep. fit and ready? And hopefully, is he in a, a mentally a good spot as well? You know, with the the environment that that's surrounding him and and the environment you know behind the scenes. Hopefully, that is all good for him because if that is clicking, then Ben Simmons is one of the 10, 15, 20 best players in the league on his day. He's an All NBA caliber player, defensive player of the year. And if we see some you know, interesting coaching points for him where he can do a bit of screening action and, and get some openings for KD and, and roll hard to the rim and make them a more dynamic force there. He's an incredible dunker. He's awesome in the open court. So out of those three things, before we move on to our final question, Hassan said leading the league in assists, averaging a triple-double, attempting eight to 10 free throws a game. What do you think out of those three is the most likely? Probably averaging a triple-double. Because mm -hmm. of who he's playing with, you know, I think the 10 assists is probably the hardest thing. 10 points, not very difficult. 10 rebounds, not very difficult. If you're asked to be one of the best rebounders on the team and he's averaged, you know, close to eight and nine majority of his career. So I think it would just be getting that 10 assists, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility, especially if the Nets are you know, switching over to a style that's an extremely fast pace, a lot of transition basketball. We've seen, you know, Ben excel in a lot of those lineups. So to me, that seems the most likely. What about you? 
I would probably say that as well. He's averaged 8.8 assists in the 2018-19 season, his sophomore season with the Philadelphia 76ers. And when it comes to generating threes on a team that has incredible three-point shooting, there's probably an extra assist right there. And that's probably 9.8 when you've got Joe Harris and Seth Curry, two of the best three-point shooters in the league. You know, Obviously, the, one of those guys could get traded. But as we currently stand, Ben Simmons is probably the best three-point shooting generating player, you know, assist player, however you want to sort of put it, in the league. You know, the the 8 to 10 free throws a game, I, I see that as very unlikely because, you know, he's only ever averaged at a peak 5.4. So that would have to take a, a, a major jump. And his free throw percentage, you know, what is his mentality going to be like there? Uh, and then leading the league in assists, you know, I think that, you know, uh, there's the likes of, you know, Chris Paul and, and Jokic, the, those sort of guys and LeBron will likely have, you know, and I think that because Ben is going to be more of a role player and not have the ball in his hands as much, Sort of like, you know, Draymond Green soup, souped up as, as Hassan alluded to. So I think a triple-double could happen. And I think it could happen relatively easily because he's going to get the points. It, the rebounds is is one thing where he probably will get 8.8 .8 rebounds in that 18-19 season, 7.7 .7 assists, 8 assists in the 19-20 season. And then last year was a, a little, the 2020-2021, sorry, 7.2 rebounds and 6.9 assists. So I think he can get there. Uh, but I'm just in, I'm just hoping if everything behind the scenes in terms of his physical health and mental health is okay, I think all of the ancillary stuff about you know the the stats and and all that sort of thing uh, will take care of themselves. Yeah, and I think also the chemistry with his teammates too could be important. You know how he fits with them. You know how their styles mesh. How much he gets the ball in his hands. Those all are going to kind of play different factors. And you know even if he doesn't average a triple double, I think he'll average probably something pretty close to it. No, definitely. Nick, probably going to have to finish this one a tad early, but Greg, uh, Grey Goo and Aaron and, and Jay from BK, Bishop, uh, and everyone else that's and the Only Nets fans, you know, podcast, uh, Cypher 04, uh, Jay Brown. We will get to your questions next, including, you know, some that are specifically targeted at me, but we're looking forward to getting <laughs> into those um, very, very soon in the next episode later in the week. But Nick, it's always a pleasure, mate. Five stars, everyone. We want those five stars. Thank you to everyone that's been subscribing and listening over the off-season, and we'll keep going. And if you do want to get uh, any of your questions in before we record part two, uh, hit me up on Twitter, at Jack Manuel, at J-A-C-M-A-N-U-E-L-L. -L. Thanks for listening, guys.